You're listening to Creative and Passionate Cat, hosted by Antoine Errol. Today we're with Megan Lamley on the podcast. So for those that may not know you, can you please introduce yourself? So I am a sales coach for female entrepreneurs. Basically, the whole idea behind my business and my brand is to make effortless sales so that you can scale rapidly. So I got into the coaching space in August of 2019, and I realized that there are a lot of female entrepreneurs, but within that, there's not a lot of salespeople. And so I really decided to just niche down to specifically sales because I felt like it was so needed. Kind of a background on me is, you know, I have a degree in business management. So I very much had that ideology that I was going to get a corner office, you know, climb the ladder through a corporate company. Mm -hmm. But after working for the same company for two years and getting fired for them, I realized that's not what I wanted. Um, I think a lot of times we create these ideas of how our life should be. And then we realize that it's not what we want. So I started out in the social media management VA kind of OBM space. And I learned very quickly that a service provider is a lot of doing. And I was coaching my clients and kind of walking them through how to do things. And I was like, why don't I move into this space full time? And so that's how I got into coaching. When I'm not coaching, I have two really large furry dogs and I'm based in Colorado. So very stereotypical Colorado person. We love the outdoors. We love hiking. We love camping and just all of those things. So how did you learn about coaching just because you were coaching your clients or just because you knew other coaches? So I actually had a client who was a hairstylist and she had, there's a marketing coach for hairstylists named Britt Siva. And so she is the one who kind of introduced me into that space. Now I had kind of known about coaching from the fitness space because I mean, in 2013, Mm -hmm. it was everywhere you went. And so that is where I kind of dipped my toe in, but that specific client started putting me in Facebook groups because she was like, I'm in these groups. There's so many people like you can find more clients from there. And so from there, when I got on Instagram, I wasn't fully aware of like the middle level coaches. I was very aware of like the high, like very top tier type of coaching. And so obviously as a social media manager struggling on Instagram, these coaches were finding me and interacting. And so I would, you know, go and follow their stuff and start consuming it. And that's when I realized that you didn't have to be like this big coach that a lot of those coaches started at the baseline. So it was kind of inside of those Facebook groups, but then also me being an ideal client for so many programs, because I was struggling so hard that the coaches were starting to find me and interact with me. Okay. And did you have like a coach of your own or was just this through like the groups? So I didn't hire a coach until August of 2019 because I had a background in business and I did a nano degree from Udacity. I really was just kind of bootstrapping it and figuring it Mm -hmm. out and kind of franken piecing my business together. If I could go back, I would have hired a coach sooner just because as much as I love Facebook groups and the opportunity that they provide, a lot of those are people who haven't invested. So they typically undercharge. And so my pricing was really defined from these Facebook groups of these people undercharging. And so it was hard to really scale my business without a coach, but I did end up hiring one in August of 2019. And did that make a difference or were y'all like, were you already seeing results? So I saw a lot of growth, but it was a different type of growth. So hiring a coach really made my business like 
profitable. Like I was already mm-hmm. clients in doing that, but this like t- took my prices and quadrupled them. And so it made me really profitable. And it also gave me very clear direction to scale rapidly without a coach. I think a lot of times there's so many directions that an early stage entrepreneur, they need somebody who just is like, put the train on the tracks and go this direction versus trying to do all the things. And I was trying to do all the things. And when my coach was just like, focus on Instagram and only Instagram, that's when I started seeing the growth. And then obviously she came in and like helped me with pricing because I was like charging dirt level pricing for coaching. So it wasn't something that was going to scale. And when, when you say scale, is it because you were looking to add like people to your team or was just to, to get more clients? I was just trying to make ends meet in the beginning so that okay. I could my nine to five and be full-time in an online business. But a lot of times scalability is two things like you mentioned, like making more money and hiring a team. But for me, it was just to have a lifestyle that wasn't dependent on like, I need to be available 40 hours a week to do these client stuff. It was like, okay, if I want to go on vacation, I can go on vacation. So as I've continued to grow, my coaches definitely encouraged me to outsource and continue to grow. But that also comes with like, figuring out, you know, how do I start offering passive items and bringing people in to reach more channels and what opportunities are available as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like when it comes to sales, like what was your, were you also like doing sales like before in the, um, in a full-time job or were you not doing sales? So I have probably the funniest background with sales. I worked in a t-shirt shop in Vail on Bridge Street and I had to learn sales very quickly because we were the most expensive t-shirts on Bridge Street. Like the average t-shirt is $5 and ours started at 15. And so retail is where I started getting into it. But when I shifted back into, so I've always bounced back and forth between retail and spa because there's a huge uh, industry there. And so when I took a job with Massage Envy, I'd never worked a spa that had a membership. And so with that, that is where I really learned how to sell because when I worked at Crazy Shirts, we didn't really get commission. Like we got bonuses if we hit like our monthly goal and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I worked at Massage Envy, we started getting commission, but I'm also a very competitive person. And so it was wanting to be the best, wanting to be the top in the region. And that's where I really learned how to sell because it's different to sell a membership versus a service. And so when I got into the entrepreneurial space, it was a whole different ballgame with sales. I think a lot of people think like those brick and mortar experiences is easy to translate, but it's not because when you're in the online space, you're literally having somebody hand thousands of dollars over to you and they've never physically met you. Like I had probably paid my coach close to like, I want to say like 12 or $13,000 before I met her this last February. And so it's, it's different than what I had learned. And so I had to like relearn sales. Okay. And what, what aspect of it did you have to relearn? So I think traditional sales is very masculine based. It's very like you have a problem, here's a solution, and then the service naturally positions itself. But in the entrepreneurial space, I mean, you're dealing with women, like women really dominate that space based on the experience that they've had in the corporate world. And so with that, you're really building trust around this person. And so it's a lot of relationship building, a lot of longer sales than people want to admit. Like the average client takes 90 days before they buy from me. And a lot of people are like, that's really long. But I'm like, in reality, I'm asking for a couple dollars. And so it was relearning 
one, how to consistently sell when it feels like nobody's listening, because sometimes you get on stories and you're pitching or the fifth person has reached out to you, but they have some objection and it's still creating that consistency, but it's also learning how women specifically buy in a high ticket setting. And how does it feel when you're making like stories and then like there's no interaction? I mean, in the beginning, it was really tough because you're doing all this work and you're expecting these instant results because we live in a world of instant gratification. Like you do something, you get a result. But I had a friend who told me she was like, just imagine that there's one person out there who needs to hear what you have to say. And so now it's different. I mean, I've definitely, my Instagram was at 200 when I started coaching and now I'm over 2000 followers and continuing to scale rapidly. And so with that, you just have to remember that there's one person out there who is continually watching, questioning whether or not this is the best investment for them. And if they're worthy of spending that kind of money on themselves, because as women, a lot of our worth is tied into what we're telling ourselves on the inside. And so it went from like me, struggling to show up consistently to, I remember during my first launch, I talked about my offer every day, Monday through Friday for six weeks. And it was exhausting. But every day I woke up and I was like, today might be the day that someone buys. And so recently when I just went through a launch during COVID-19, it was the same mentality. It's like, if you just show up for one person, it's so much easier to show up for so many people. And on the other side of that is as your business grows, like you'll get more people, but there will always be a core audience. So also recognize who that audience is when you get on stories. Like I know there's probably 15 to 20 people minimum who will always check my stories. And so that helps too. Yeah, that's interesting. And if you were to take the business, like let's say it'd be like in an offline setting, like an event, would you still be able to get as many people interested or would it be a different game? I think... Moving from the online space into a, an event is a very big step that like entrepreneurs take. Based on the community that I'm in, it would be easy. A lot of women thrive in a place of community. And so creating community through an event is where you're going to make a lot of money. So I, I mean, it's a dream of mine that will probably happen in the next five years. But I, I have like this unshakable faith, like whatever I do, people will show up and they'll buy. Yeah, that's interesting. And like, what was it difficult for you to just like start selling on like when you came to selling online like were you like not mad at yourself but like just trying to figure things out and thinking that it wasn't the same environment as the offline world like how did that go i think learning how to sell online is also like learning how to be consistent so the growth that i've seen over the last 6 months has come a lot from consistency and that's where a lot of early stage entrepreneurs struggle but the funny thing is, is when I became consistent in my business, I became consistent in life. So it got easier, but I also had like a plan in place. And so when I got, when I, I mean, when I invested, I only had $200 in my pocket. And so I really had to turn around money fast. And so I was very hungry to figure out what worked and what would make me profitable. And so with that, it, it was hard, but it was like a different kind of hard. It wasn't like a lot of people think like business is like starting a business is hard. It's being consistent in all aspects of your business because consistency with selling is where sales happen. And so the thing that I always had to remember is the average consumer needs to hear something eight to 20 times before they buy. So like if you're counting it, if you talk about it in your stories 20 times, somebody's got to buy at that point. And so it was just holding on to like these facts based on how average consumers buy to like remind myself, like if I don't show up, then 
they're not going to buy and it's going to be on me. So I wouldn't say that I was like mad. It was just learning how to be consistent after I wasn't consistent in business or my life. Were you only doing stories or were you also doing like messages, um, calls? Like what were you, like, were you also like doing other activities for sales or? So in the beginning, I was doing a lot of outreach, but I wasn't doing any cold outreach. So, okay. well, not cold, like pitching. So with that, it was a lot of finding my ideal client, following them, talking to them, consistently posting in my feed and in my stories. I mean, within the first 90 days of my business, I also started building a Facebook group, which I learned was super, it's just another tier that people can get to know you better. And when you put someone inside of a Facebook group, women thrive on exclusivity. And so creating an exclusive community that you basically have to like answer these questions to get in also helps them want to buy more from you. Because at the end of the day, sales are just getting people to consistently say yes. So it was a lot of, finding them, engaging with them, and then consistently posting on my feed and my stories and just following back up with them. I didn't do a lot of pitching in the beginning because I wasn't really sure how to pitch or like how to position the conversation. Is it different today or is, is it still the same strategy like at this moment? So with where I'm at right now, there are way more channels that people can get me on because I've built out a team to support me. My Instagram is always the landing base that I send people because Instagram, you can really showcase a lot of your business and people are very nosy. Like we have been trained to be curious because we get a dopamine reward from it. But now it's like people can come in in multiple ways. I don't currently do any outreach myself. I have somebody engagement, um, which I feel like a lot of coaches don't talk about, but when you get in my Mm -hmm. You get me. The other thing is though, is when you start positioning yourself and you start getting crazy visible, I feel like more people find me now than when they did before. But on the other end of that is as you continually grow, like I consistently wake up to 50 to 20 DMs every day. And so it's also like getting back to people now versus finding them. It's like, instead of taking all that time to find people, now it's like me taking time to reply to people who are finding me at one o'clock in the morning when they're looking for answers, they binge all my stuff. And then they're like, what's the next step? Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 A lot of these platforms are built so that like, if you think about it, the idea of social media is so that people overconsume. And so with that, you have to really set up your page. Being a sales expert, I stand apart just for the fact that there's not a lot of people out there who's only talk about sales like they're either business or sales or you know their visibility and so marketing and so that's the other thing I think I get really lucky with the fact that like if you want to talk to me we're going to talk about sales we're not gonna I'm not a mindset coach I never want to be a mindset coach Mm -hmm. there are great people who do that but for me consistently sales is where like I'm passionate do you you think people like choose the wrong coaches if like, cause there is a lot of business coaches, but a business coach is very vague. So do you think that some people are are maybe with the wrong coach if they're going towards like a business coach or like you said, like a mindset coach, like it's, I find it's very different than running a business sometimes if you're just a, a mindset coach. See, I believe the opposite. I believe that business is mindset. 
Um, so I don't believe your business coach should ever give you mindset advice. I also don't believe in bad investments. Now, there's a lot of people who are desperate to invest. And as a coach, you have to understand what your zone of genius is. So I think the responsibility follows, it falls on the coach. It doesn't fall on the client as much because as coaches, we know where we can help people. And there are so many coaches in the space who just take money to take money. And I've had to tell people like, you know, I would love to help you. But based on what you're telling me, like you need X, Y, Z versus just sales. Because a lot of times people think money is the solution where it's not. Now, the thing about investing though is I think as women, we have to feel drawn to an invest. And when you invest out of a place of scarcity or desperation, that's when you are more likely to like have buyer's remorse to be like, why did I invest in this? Like, this isn't going to help me. Um, and on the same spectrum, a lot of people overinvest. They think that they need to know everything about a topic before they can go ahead and take action. And so a lot of times, like before I invest, I tell people, you know, let me look at this. Let me make sure this isn't something I have. And I encourage people who look at working with me to do the same thing as well, because you want to make sure like, you know, content's not my strongest point, which a lot of people would counter argue and be like, your content's amazing. But for me, that's a place I've always struggled. So I'm so quick to invest in that place. And I was recently looking at a program and I was like, I took a moment and I was like, wait, I know how to write content. It's just sometimes you have to like remind yourself. So I wouldn't say that there's, you know, a bad investment. I would just say that when you're investing, you need to be careful with who you invest with and make sure that they align with you too. A lot of times people want, they want coaches who they want to be like, and then they don't realize that's not in their personality to be that type of person. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, I figure that sales would be the number one thing that people should be like learning about or, you know, when they're starting a business, I mean, a lot of people forget about it is what, I, is what I'm trying to say. Cause like people start businesses um, off, like, you know, wanting to start like a podcast or YouTube channel, which is, is good, but it's basically, those are, those are like um, assets to have, they're not like things that will generate sales automatically. So that's really why I think that sales is really important. I would agree too. And I think entrepreneurs don't lack the passion. They lack the skill. But I think a lot of times people don't understand. They think sales is like a band-aid to everything. When I invested, it was like, oh, I don't know how to sell. But if you don't have a good product to sell, you're not going to sell. And so that's the other thing. That's why I typically work with middle stage entrepreneurs and I've built out products in my like lower end to help those people who are starting out who need to figure out ideal client and pricing and how to start selling. But like I said, entrepreneurs don't lack passion. It's just skill. And a lot of times it's a band-aid approach too. Like they may have like the world's worst offer, but think they need to learn how to sell. And it really comes back to if you have a good offer, you will sell it all the time. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's something you help people with as well. Yes. Um, I definitely help with offer creation because this is a funny story. Um, when I got into coaching, everybody and their mom was doing launch programs. And I was like, I want to offer a launch program. It looks super profitable. Um, but I had never launched before. And so when we create offers, like we need to do market research and figure out where our audience is at. That was the offer that I created because I thought my audience needed it. And I never sold a thing. All the offers that I've created because my audience wants it is where like the money happens to. Um, so do people need launches or can people just sell and make the same amount of money or have the same results? 
So you won't have the same results in the same container. You can have results if you want to consistently do it time over time. The thing about a launch is, is a lot of people get very scared because they're like, it's this big whole thing. I believe launches build so much profitability inside of a business because it's like, that period of time you can take on a bunch of clients and really scale rapidly. Like if I wasn't launching consistently, like I was, I wouldn't have been able to build like the over $70,000 business. I have six months in the game. So you can take an evergreen approach. It's just what type of scaling do you want to do? I'm somebody who wanted to scale rapidly. And so launching does help me bring more people in because if you think about it, perceived scarcity like the idea of something running out or you not being able to have it is a bigger urgency than just like, oh, I could get it at any time. Like this was seen when everybody and their mom was buying toilet paper. The fact that toilet paper was and is running out, more people went out and bought toilet paper than they probably have in years. Mm-hmm. So that's where launches come in and create yeah. a lot of your business. But um, let's use that as an, as an example. Like that wasn't really a launch. That was just like, things people did so that's why I'm trying to figure out like if people need launches or they don't because you can always like be on be on a call and let them know like that there could be a discount or there, there could be limited spots without having a launch I guess behind it mm, yes and no okay. I and love a good launch it just depends what it, what type of growth do you want inside of your business so if you want to grow slow and steady and you want to kind of have I mean, I believe in effortless sales, but there's a difference between effortless and easy. And so with that, I believe, I mean, you don't need anything in business. There's no rules to business, mm-hmm. but I, if you want to grow rapidly, you can launch. Now there's so many ways that you can launch and grow your business. But again, it comes back to the urgency that scarcity provides. If, if you think about it, the things that you've waited on before, you've sat there and you've thought about it over and over and over. And as women, we're hardwired to run ourselves around and around. And so when you give them like a, Hey, either get in or get out. I mean, I never use fear-based marketing, but like, here's this urgency. It gets a lot of people out of the fence and it really pulls up your warm leads. Does this only work for coaching or does this, does it work for any industry? It works for anything because it always comes back to the perceived scarcity. If you can get it whenever you want, you're not going to get it. If you can only get it at a certain time, Starbucks is really good about this. Like if you think about it, Starbucks and their holiday drinks, how many people buy those drinks around the holidays because they're only available at that time? Like I would love to look at their numbers and they probably post them to see how profitable they are in Q4 because those drinks only come around once a year. People are counting down to see what new red cup design it is. And so with that, like, you have to think about what kind of urgency you can create. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But it does work also when you have, let's say, more than one launch at the same time, because sometimes it's like, um, if we're going to that niche, there's like iced coffees, there's like, um, I don't know, there's different things at the same time sometimes. So um, are these all launches or... So I define a launch as when you open up a product or a service, it doesn't matter if you're a service-based business or, you know, just a product-based business, Mm -hmm. you open it up for a limited time. You never want to confuse your audience because the thing is, is we are bombarded by marketing in every space of our lives. Like I have Facebook open and I'm literally looking at three different ads if I were to scroll my page. And so with that, you want to be very defined. 
Now, front facing, you have one product, but on the back end, you can downsell them to something else. But with your products, like if you are a product based business, creating urgency and scarcity around it will push people to buy. And then if you want to continue to upsell them, well, they already said yes. This happened to me the other day when I bought a protein powder. I bought the protein powder and then I went to checkout and they're like, oh, you could get a shaker cup for $5. And I was like, I need another shaker cup. And then they're like, or you can do a pack of three for 10. I was like, okay, I could take three shaker cups because I already had said yes once. And so with launches, a lot of people fear the launch because they fear the kind of work that goes into it. But if you set it up, one, people are going to buy. And two, the people who don't buy, they're going to be waiting for it to come back around so that they can buy. And so that also creates a warm leaphole because every time you continue to launch that product or open up, like it's only here for 72 hours, the people who didn't take action, maybe the first or second time, they're going to because they're going to watch other people do it. And so launching, a lot of times people think like, oh, it needs to be something big. It can just be an open cart, closed cart. A lot of companies like Forever 21 are really good about this because, you know, they don't really have open cart, closed cart, but they have a limited number. And after they hit that limited number, it's gone. And if you've ever go like go to try to buy something and it's gone, like you're going to scour the internet for it before you find it. Once you do that once, every time you see something, you've trained yourself to say, I need to buy it now because it might not be there. Yeah, I get that. It's just sometimes in, like when you go into a store or something, it's like 50 percent, 50 50% off or something. And then you go back the next time and it's still the same thing. So that's why I find some launches are weird sometimes. It's positioning. Okay. Um, you're not seeing the perceived value when it's 50%, but if you were in that product and then it's like, if Apple were to run a discount, which they do, if you're a student, but you know, you've looked at that laptop five times, it's $1,300. And then you come in and it's only, you know, 1100, you, you would have more interest. But the big thing about launching is creating profitability inside of your business. If you can bring 10 people in at a thousand dollars a month, well, you just hit a 10 K month. Yeah. So Let's talk about that because I, I know like when you go and look at coaches online, they talk about like $10,000 a month, but like, um, is, is, is that the goal they should be aiming for or like what goal should coaches be aiming for? It depends on your lifestyle. Um, I think bigger numbers allow you to play with more things. Like when I hit a 10 K month, I could offboard 90% of my business, but you have to understand with your business, like, what is your goal? What are you trying to make? You know, what money do you bring home to your family? And so for me, I don't have a lot of personal overhead. And so for me taking, you know, three to 4,000 outside of my business every month, that covers everything and then some. So I think with monetary goals, you have to have a reason why you're hitting that monetary goal. If you're just hitting a 10 K month, because you see every coach in the industry hitting a 10 K month, it's not going to make you feel fulfilled because you're going to chase the next thing. Now, a lot of people don't realize though, a 10K month is, you don't get to bring home a full $10,000. I mean, mm-hmm. for get hit with processing fees because we all have to use processors because we're yep. business. And so if you're somebody using Venmo or Zelle or, you know, personal PayPal, the IRS is going to come knocking on your door and you're also breaking terms and conditions. So thinking about hitting processing fees. And then a lot of coaches, like we have overhead, we have other coaches, we have teams, We have software. And so that's the other thing. But I think with monetary goals, you have to have a reason why. If you're just hitting 10K to hit 10K, you're not going to hit 10K because there's no energetic backing. Yeah. I mean, it should be more than that because like at the end of the day, the person should know what they're, 
beyond the money, just knowing what they want. Like, are they going to sell this business? Are they going to do something else after that business, have a second business? Like that's where, I, that's why I have trouble with the, the coaching industry because people like sometimes with coaching, they only want to do coaching. I think it like, it kind of like makes you not want to do anything else or think about any other possibilities. I think a lot of coaches get in it for the passion, like learning mm-hmm. and teaching somebody how to grow their business consistently and how to become financially free from a job that they hate is where the passion comes a lot. Now I am noticing there's a different rise of coach coming out where they're, they're getting smart. They're learning how to invest their money, grow their businesses, but a lot of them don't have any interest in having a second business. Like they're building their business so that they can continually help people in the different containers that they have. And to be very honest with you as a coach, like I don't plan on starting another business. I will build my coaching business to be sustainable and to create opportunities for other people. But I think the change is that as coaches, we're learning how to invest our money and how to really diversify it. But you always have to remember too, like females in the way they're growing isn't something that's, you know, happened in the last hundred years. Like the disposable income of a 20 some female, which is typically an online coach is something that's happened over the last, you know, 60 to 70 years. And so that's the other thing that there's not really set rules on, you know, building a coaching business to sell. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any coaches out there who have really built a business to sell it. And even if you think about like motivable, like motivational speakers, like Tony Mm -hmm. Robbins, like he hasn't sold that company. And so there isn't, Mm -hmm really that idea where a lot of brick and mortar businesses, like you build it to be profitable with the intentions of handing it down or selling it. That would be like giving my left arm because it's a, it's a business I built on passion. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, there's coaches out there that basically what they do is they automate the whole business so that they can either go public or sell it and they can do whatever they want after. Cause it's like, all they do is they create like an automated program so that they remove themselves from the equation basically. Yeah, there's definitely bigger programs out there. There's a lot, like, in the female space, like, Rachel Bell's done that with OCA, where she only comes in and, you know, I think she coaches once a month. I know bigger coaches like Amanda Francis, like, getting on her docket as a one-on-one person, like, it's a $100,000 commitment for a year. But I think a lot of times people think that, like, you have to hate what you do. And the coaching industry is rewriting it where it's, like, I can make Mm -hmm. a money. I can love what I do and I can do this as long as I want while creating wealth inside of my life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, okay. So just one last question before we go is just where can people connect with you? Instagram is always my place to connect. It's just Megan Lamley, uh, Megan.Lamley. We'll put a link in the show notes. I always do. Yep. Um, that's the best place to go. And then from there, I also have a Facebook group called scale to 5k. That's a really good place as well. I give a lot of good information there too. All right. Awesome. I do appreciate you being on the podcast. So thank you. Of course. Thank you.